Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys Podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg, explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. At the time of this recording, today is a very special day for the CPG Guys, because we have crossed 25k followers on LinkedIn. Congratulations, Brian. Of course, we never knew that this podcast will become a premier educational podcast for the CPG and corresponding retail industry. I want to thank all of you for embracing it and making it part of your journey of learning. You'll have always known this is a baseball podcast where we talk some CPG and retail. But without all of you, our audience, there is no CPG, guys. I can't say that more sincerely. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you. Thank you. We know 25K on LinkedIn is a big number. Sincerely, thank you. And kind of serendipitous moment that we're sharing that day with you, Matt. So, um, but in, uh, let me get to our guest in a second. So, hello and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omni-channel digital journey of brands and retailers. I'm your co-host, Shri. Please listen to my daughter's music at www.vrh.com. That's R-H-E-A-R-H-A.com, and follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter at Dream Academy by Hybe Geffen Records, anchored by Universal Music on YouTube and Instagram. Joining me today is my co-host and friend, the Managing Director of Retail Cities North America, the host of the Gildenberg Omni Comment, and fast forward, Brian himself. How are you? I'm doing great, Shree. Do you know the song, You're So Vain, is about David Geffen? Didn't know that. There you go. So I'm Hi. here I'm here for useful information. So I live and learn every day. There Useless trivia. There so, we go. Yeah. I know I can count on you for those. No, I'm not, that's what I'm here for. So uh, apparently. So. Besides being captivated in Cairo. <laughs> Before we get to our guest, I'll remind everyone to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you use Apple or Spotify, give us a rating. Helps feed the algorithm. And of course, our podcast becomes much more findable. It also tells us what you think about our podcast and if we have the right guest. We want to express our honored VR to be rated the number one CPG podcast for two years in a row, according to Feedspot, the leading podcast ranking authority. And we're very pleased to have joined with us our sister cast, such as the CPG Scoop, CPG Guys Fast Forward for by Brian. And the FMCG guys, we're also happy to be formal sponsors of Next Up, whose mission is to advance all women in business. And we're giving away memberships to this prestigious network and organization. So drop us a line at contact at cpgguys.com to learn more and take advantage of what Next Up has to offer. Links to our podcast, our sister cast, and our landing page on Next Up may be found in the digital liner notes of this episode. So it's time for the main event. And our guest joined the Spartan Nash organization in 2009, working his way up from a store director working on stores with weekly sales of 500K to consumer marketing, and now the director for e-commerce and digital experiences. His transition from, I'm gonna call it, as hardcore in-store management all the way to the digital world was done while all while completing his bachelor's degree from the Western Michigan University, so congratulations. Oh. In 2019, he assumed the role as director for e-commerce and digital experience for Spartan Nash, who has over 140 stores in 19 DCs. Today's conversation is sure to touch the intersection between physical and online in a true omni-channel conversation. So join me in welcoming to the podcast, I guess, Matt Van Gilder. Hello, Matt. Thanks Hello. for joining us in person. Absolutely. Honored to be here, and this is an exciting way to kick off the grocery shop week. Yeah, I should have mentioned we're here in Las Vegas. And not, not Cairo. Not Cairo, <laughs> even though the pyramid behind Brian looks like we are in Giza. But uh, thanks for making we're just time geezer, We're just geezers event. instead. So uh, <laughs> he doesn't qualify. This, this, he's not. Ah, but yeah. we we are we are the Great Pyramid of geezers. So <laughs> there we go. Going to rebrand this podcast. 
And uh, before we get to the questions, Matt, I'd love for you to take a quick, quick minute and give us a description of what your role is at Spartan Nash. Absolutely. So today I am our director of e-commerce and digital experience. So what that means um, for me is I get to have one of the most fun jobs in the company. Um, and that is taking all the great things we do in our retail stores and bringing that to life on our digital platforms. So our websites, our e-commerce marketplaces, our first party e-commerce platforms, our mobile apps. Um, so taking all the great things we do, the great products we offer, the services we provide in our various retail stores. As you mentioned, we have 140 of those across the Midwest um, and bring that brand and that story to life to our customers. And I do want to mention you know, specifically that we do have 140 retail stores, but Spartan Nash is much bigger than that. We have 19 DCs that serve over 2,000 independent grocers, uh, as well as globally, we serve our military exchanges and commissaries. So we have a huge reach. Um, and while my team is directly responsible for the merchandising, the UX, the marketing of our e-commerce programs, uh, the in-store operations, order fulfillment at those 140 stores, we like to think of ourselves also as consultants and um, a team that can serve our independent customers, customers excuse me, that we don't own and operate and making sure they're equipped and successful in the space as well. Um, and it's a little bit uh, special to me because you mentioned I started Spartan Ash in 2009. Before that, I actually had two years at one of our independent customers, which was actually a family business of mine. So grocery runs in the blood. We are an independent customer of Spartan Nash. So that part of our business means a lot to me. And I really get excited about helping those independent customers compete with the big likes of <laughs> Amazon and Walmart. You know, good to be sitting with somebody in the digital space who's coming from a family background and experience of working in store. So I'm hoping our conversation will get really rich, especially when we start getting into some of the what skill sets it requires to succeed in this space. But thank you for that overview. And in the digital lineups of the episode, we'll include links to your LinkedIn profile, Spartan Nash's LinkedIn page, and the website for listeners to access while we continue with this conversation. So I'm going to get going here, and I'm going to start with the first question, Matt, which is Spartan Nash is a network of stores, as you mentioned, and omni-channel offerings to consumers and shoppers. What does this actually mean to you, and what does Omnichannel mean for all the several banners Spartan Nash actually owns and operates with? Yeah, it's a great question. And we have, within our retail footprint, uh, we have several different banners that we operate, um, all with slightly different um, brand stories and go-to-market strategies for our customers. Um, and I think one important thing to to look at is just the term omni-channel customer and thinking about that customer um, separately uh, than a typical customer or having multiple channels versus just thinking about a single customer and having that customer shop with you uh, in any way. I think when we start to think about omni-channel customer, e-commerce customer, digital customer, um, as much as we try not to, we tend to segment that customer and potentially treat them a little bit differently than we would what we would consider an in-store customer, which for most grocers is still a vast majority of their sales volume is that in-store customer. Um, so rather than trying to think about those customers separately, I think it's important to think of that single customer, not omni-channel, not digital, not in-store, but just a customer, and figuring out the ways that we can serve those customers and meet the needs depending on, on what they're looking for. Because every customer now, thanks to COVID, is at least familiar with e-commerce, if not uses it at least monthly, if not a couple times a year. Um, so for us to, to really get that right, we have to think about that customer more holistically. And is that primarily when they use it 
couple times a year, monthly, is that primarily click and collect or is that, does that include a home delivery aspect as well or do you work with intermediaries on that? Yeah, so it's really all of the above. We find a lot of success within our first party e-commerce offerings in the within the, the click and collect segment. Uh, we offer uh, delivery as well um, that is growing, uh, but click and collect seems to be our bread and butter. Uh, while we do have our own first party offering directly through our retail stores with our own staff that are picking and packing the orders, talking with our customers, providing that great level of service, which by the way, it's very important for us that we have our own employees and our own staff taking care of our customers and owning that personal relationship with the customer. As much as personalization based on data is super important, the real life personalization with somebody you know and trust at the store is huge. Um, but beyond that, you know, we also are on, on third-party marketplaces as well. We're on several. You know, we're on DoorDash, we're on Instacart, we're on Shipped, we're on Uber. The list goes on. Um, and we think that's also an important uh, arm of growth as well. While we may not be able to own the experience completely, we do know that millions of monthly active users are out on those platforms. And if we're at least not, you know, if we're not there as an option to select uh, when a customer is out browsing, thinking about getting groceries, we're certainly not going to get that sale. So it's important for us to play in both first party and third party. Um, and third party tends to be a bit more delivery. So across the board, we definitely have a mix of click and collect and delivery. Excellent. And uh, and now uh, bringing the conversation into the stores now, like on a so from a day in from a day in day out basis. So how does a how does that day to day execution happen at the shelf? Um, is everything kind of in an omni channel plan now, or are you still uh, does the digital shelf kind of follow the physical one? How do you guys think about the planning of that? How do you, what are your plans anchored in as well as how do you then execute? Um, and based on what I answered on the last question, as much as we, we need to not think about different channels and just think about a single customer, yeah. uh, we definitely still do follow the lead of the in-store merchandising plans, uh, which again makes sense uh, for many grocers as that is a, a big, that's a majority of their sales volume. However, it is important that we continue continue to evolve, evolve, excuse me, um, and to start to think about plans across all the different channels. And I can say that we are starting to do that. We are differentiating our, um, not necessarily our assortment, but our promotional activity uh, on our e-commerce channels and through our digital channels um, where you can only get certain deals, whether you're shopping online or in the store buy something you're activating in the mobile app, like a digital coupon, or you can only get a certain promotion if you're going to be getting curbside pickup or uh, if you're going to be getting home delivery. So we're, we're continuing to explore and evolve there, uh, but I think that's going to be an ever-growing uh, importance over the next several years to make sure that you are thinking holistically about the omni-channel plan for the customer. Um, and especially as you start to think about things like <laughs> Uh, assortment differences between what you have online yeah. and what's in the store. For us, we're very much based on your customer selects a store, their assortment then becomes whatever's available at that store, whether they're getting pickup or delivery. Um, and as that starts to shift to things like endless aisle and being able to have something available for the customer that's far beyond what they normally carry in store, may not be able to get it today, maybe drop ship in two days. Uh, but as that starts to come into play, uh, then it's going to be important to start to think about your promotional plans a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. cool. the, the one question, though, I thought I do want to get to is plans, anchors, is still very much like when you guys do the resets. It's still based on the physical and then digital follows, right? And then I also love to learn about innovation. 
when vendors want to introduce innovation with you guys, do you always say, bring me the digital playbook as well? Um, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I can't speak too, in, you know, too far in detail of what we're asking for from a merchandising standpoint and, and as we're buying things and planning out resets and bringing in new assortment into our stores. Um, I know digital is a very important piece and something that we're leaning into more. Um, but, you know, for us, we're still focused on making the experience right in the store and focus on the assortment from that perspective. You know, starting to think about things that are going to be more specific towards e-commerce, like specific pack sizes and making cert certain things available in different markets uh, from an e-commerce standpoint. We're not quite there yet, but that's something that we're, we're, we're headed towards. Just to think yep. about. Gotcha. So you have a plethora of partners that are vendors, of course, given that groceries in so many categories. If you could give them advice on how to navigate the omni-channel world, what would you ask them to focus on and bring to you that drives success for them as brands and for, most importantly, your customer who's the shopper? Yeah, I think uh, there there's so many awesome potential partners out there, so many great partners we have today. I know I'm going to meet a lot of really cool uh, new companies just this week going out on the floor at grocery shop. There's never a shortage of new opportunities from a technology standpoint. Um, and I think it's important for any partner uh, to to think about, you know, I guess for, for us a little bit, it's, you know, we, we want to make sure that we are setting a strategy and we're, we're, we're sticking to that and we're saying, here's the plan, here's where we want to be in two years, three years to meet what we think the customer's needs are going to be. Uh, and it's important to stick to that and to make sure that we're executing against that. But at the same time, we also need to be able to be flexible and we need to be able to be nimble based on the customer feedback we get. As much as we think we've got a crystal ball about what's going to happen in two, three years, we know that that changes much more rapidly. Um, so I think for a vendor to be successful, for a retailer to be successful, whoever the partners are, uh, there has to be uh, a good working relationship of that of flexibility and nimbleness of based on what the real-time changes are for for the customer need. And I know that's hard to do. That's hard to plan around. But, you know, we have no shortage of customer feedback in our industry. That's for sure. Customers will let us know what, what, what they think of a product, how well they think it's working. And for us, we, we need to be able to adapt quickly to that to win the customer over in this highly competitive space. And then are you finding, I won't ask you for names, but are you finding that in this world there are some vendors who get the plot and are much faster than others? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely some higher yeah. performers than others. Yeah, I thought that would be the case. Yeah. Well, I like that idea, too, of like there's so much noise in the digital world about we can get real-time personally identified feedback. And you're sitting there going, well, we've been doing that for 100 years in our stores. That's when right. that's when Mrs. McGill kind of gets mad at us because we move the milk. I mean, yep. like, so you've got a real-time a real personalized feedback loop, which is so, – and. Um, just a, a curious to how do you how do you capture that in the, do you capture that in the digital world do you think well or how do you think about how that sort of transitions there's so many ways now to get customer feedback i mean yeah. part of it is is just looking at the metrics and how are customers behaving within right. your your confines of your app or your website certain pages with certain promotions and i know we'll get into that when we talk about retail media especially but the the, the, the best feedback we get is still the old-fashioned direct feedback from the customer, which is the most, it's the most challenging to 
to keep up on because you're manually sifting through comments from customers that are hard to sometimes distill down into an action. Right. You know, somebody's just not happy with the experience overall. Overall, how do we pinpoint? Okay, what was it that made, or what were the multiple things maybe that made right. that experience break down? But yeah, for us, it's I find the most fruitful thing to be looking at the metrics, but really focusing on. I read every morning what were my comments that came in yesterday based mm-hmm. on what my customer, you know, how their orders went on on our, uh, you know, through our online shopping service. Because that's the most telling way of of how well your service is living up to your promise. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let's shift gears a little bit because this is something I've always been curious about um, in the, as you start to become more omnichannel as a brick and mortar retailer, and that's the role of private brands, right? So private brands play a variety of roles on the shelf within a, within a given store. And I think in particular in the independent grocery world where I often have to get super price competitive without the same buying scale as a Kroger or something like that. Private brand plays an essential role in making the economics of those stores work, right? So, but in the omni-channel world, how do you think about private brand? Do you think about it differently now? Do you think about what some of the, and then from a, from a management point of view, how are you thinking about your private brands in terms of things like content development and ratings mm-hmm. and reviews? And how are you sort of building your private brand capability in your e-commerce site? And does digital change the way that you think about private brand as an enterprise? Sure. I, you know, at Spartan Nash, we're very excited about our private brands uh, <laughs> that we're, number one, we're, we're able to drive in our retail stores, but, you know, it, we also offer as a differentiator to our 2,000 plus yeah. independent customers. So it's very important to us. Um, and of course, we have to think about it a little bit differently digitally, but the excitement uh, is really across the board, whether you're talking about in-store or online. Um, and it is a good growth lever for us. Um, and it does help with our store's bottom lines, of course, as well as our digital bottom lines. Yeah. And I think part of the the things that we do think about differently with digital is how can we, you know, if you think about the in-store experience, you can easily pull a uh, product to an end cap, build a display, right? So how do we make the equivalent of that online and whether that's boosting search results, making sure that own brand is a top item that that, uh, always is returned when a customer is searching for a specific product. You know, some of the basics that have been going on for a long time. Um, and those those are good things. Those are those levers work well, um, and and they're good things to do. I think the the more important piece is around the content, which you mentioned. How do we bring the story of the private brand to life in a different way than maybe some of the national brands do? Um, and how do we make that unique to our retail stores and help our independent customers make it unique to their um, retail brand? Hmm. Um, and that's where we've been starting to have a lot of fun. And of course, we're doing that through social, but we can also do that on the actual product pages themselves. Well, I got to imagine that for a variety of things, not just this, that having so many independent operators that are able to innovate kind of independently off of the framework that you give them, that's going to be a really rich learning lab, right? To watch like your thousand, the 2,000 stores with a variety of independent owners and stuff like that, that's got to be a really interesting feedback loop on the B2B side, right? It is. It is. But um, do you get feedback on the digital side? Uh, feedback from um, the, the independent so with, with our independent customers, we are there um, to help support and you know help them run their digital platforms. So we do get feedback from them um, on their digital platforms, yeah. but rarely I, do we have direct access. I was just thinking more about just observing them and just seeing what yeah. they do, right? So, uh, and, yeah. But you know, and, and to be honest too, it, it goes the other way. You know, we yeah. not just with own brands, but we like to 
we like to use our retail stores, our own and operated stores, oh, course, to test yeah. and learn things sure, as yeah. well, right, before we then take it out and sure. recommend it. And so one other thing on private brands, do you make things like a digital playbook when you launch something or a new SKU, et cetera, for your merchandisers to use? Um, I would say yes, right, in, in, in some form or capacity. We've got, you know, best practices um, for bringing new products in, new product launch, and how to make it as successful as possible for the customer holistically inclusive of our online channels. So what role does content play in that journey for you? Yeah, so the, the content piece uh, is really important for us, and that tends to start and evolve out of our general advertising and marketing strategy for whatever that new product's going to be. And we're able to then pull bits and pieces of that to build it into the experience that the customer has when shopping online. Gotcha. So let me remind our audience that I'm speaking with Matt Van Gilder from the Spartan Nash Company. So I'm going to go to a favorite topic on the CPG, guys. If you've heard our podcast, you by now you surely know it's retail media. So retail media came as a force, I would say, five years ago, but really blossomed over COVID. As a lot of brands realized that moving budgets to that space versus TV had a much deeper impact. They were also looking for a lot of lower funnel conversion, given that there was a movement towards, from the consumer perspective, towards e-commerce, pure e-commerce or conversion. What's your opinion of retail media? Is it here to stay? And do you think as, you know, what Spartan Nash might be doing may be radically different from others in the industry or maybe quite similar? A, what's your opinion? Is it here to stay? What do you, how do you take retail media and connect it with the various brands that you all do business with? And then do you think there should be standards in the industry? Yeah, so I, I'll say that, um, Retail media, is it here to stay? I think that retail media is just a new lever and a new way to kind of execute against the funds that CPGs have available differently than we've done it in the past. And I'll say that we're, we're young in our, our retail media journey, but I do think that aspects of it are certainly here to stay. And, you know, part of that being the way in which the CPGs are able to connect and, you know, purchase their, you know, to apply their funds like, to the, the retailers to support their products in a much more automated and a much more meaningful way. They can understand much more clearly how well the money they're spending is actually performing when they're able to do it through a media network. Um, but I, I also don't think that the media network's going to replace you don't necessarily alter traditional media. I think that has an important role to play still. Um, but I do think traditional media you refer to in this case, like Yahoo, Google, and maybe even linear stuff like TV. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Kind of all of the above. I think holistically, it's still important to support products, services, whatever it is across a variety of channels outside of purely retail media and really what you're thinking of on, on platform, on premise. How about the on-premise piece of activating what, what was once called shopper marketing previously, mm -hmm. which is the in-store marketing element? How, how does that work with retail media in your case? Um, I still think there can be both. Um, and, you know, we're, we're still having quite a bit of success with some of our, our shopper marketing programs as well um, as retail media. Um, and I think that that's a good sign because they still do have a little slightly different um, purposes. Um, the retail media is a little bit more automated, a little bit more um, focused on specific channels and specific le levers. 
Travel marketing can include that, but also can have a broader reach across different channels. And I think that's important. And I think with just like with shopper marketing or any funded marketing campaigns, whatever label you want to give it that you partner with um, CPGs on, um, retail media is exciting because that's going to um, help direct a little bit more of it towards digital. And for guys like me that run e-commerce and digital business at um, a retailer, that does help uh, our bottom line and help offset fees. So we get excited about that because that helps us be a little bit more profitable in our specific area. But I think at the end of the day, it's the real excitement's the reason we've always done it, and that's to get the right products in front of the right people to get more items in baskets and to really drive sales. And that then sort of builds into the next question we've got, which is around data. Look, there's a, there's a ton of data in the retail ecosystem today. Um, and whether it's syndicated data or consumer data or your own data and things like that, and obviously retailers are beginning to use data not just as a not just as a business optimization tool, but like retail media also using it as a revenue stream or a profit stream. Um, what's your thought on the retail centric data world, and how do you see that evolving? And how do you uh, what do you think the role is of the Spartan Nash Network in that? Like, how do you see what are some of the best uses of data that you've got within your ecosystem? Sure. Uh, you know, data has always been king and still is. There's just so much of it now. Um, so it's figuring out how to, you know, best capture the data and, how, and what data to use that you are capturing. I know that sounds really um, obvious and simple, um, but that's not always the case when you may be a, a single store operator running on 25-year-old right. point of sale, maybe even older than that. Um, so, you know, what we... What we're, our, our goal is is to to help our independents um, not only capture and manage their data better, so they can use that to power making certain decisions to help um, help pull in different levers like retail media networks, but also to take those that may have uh, you know be behind enough and have a big enough gap that they may not be able to get to that data yet, at least share. Um, the understandings we have from the data we have with a similar business uh, and a similar operation. Uh, so that the data question is really important for us, and first-party data is is gold. Um, so that's that's what our focus is, is internal, like looking internally, how are our shoppers behaving across, you know, again, that, that single customer, what, whatever channel you're talking about, how are they operating, how are they shopping with us, what insights do we have, based on our own transactions to best serve that customer, what promotions to put in front of them, uh, what products should we be displaying to them on the website as soon as they log in, how should it be personalized to them. Um, and like I said, extending that knowledge and that insight we gain to our independent customers that may not have access to that data yet. And so back on the data element piece, as Brian mentioned, there's so many sources of data. One of them is what retailers offer. Do you think the infrastructure has evolved to a point where the data A can be harnessed? Now there's clean rooms. People are talking about clean rooms every day. And B, if it's harnessed, can it be presented in a way to bring all that together with one common purpose with accuracy? I think the answer is yes. Are we there or close to that yet? I don't think so. Okay, so now I'm going to give you a buzzword alert. And that buzzword, as you know, I waited six questions to get this one in. And that buzzword is artificial intelligence. That's the talk of the industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's all kinds of chat 
AI specific, generative AI specific tools all over the place. Chat GPT just happens to be the one that everyone knows mm-hmm. of, but there's so many of them. What does AI mean to you? Are you starting to look at it, especially when it comes to that data? Some, If the infrastructure exists to process it and present it, somebody's going to have to analyze it. Is that AI and how are you staying abreast of AI? Yeah, so um, I think that is going to be a huge help in solving and answering my question you asked previously, right? And kind of what I mentioned earlier, there's so much data. Um, it's hard to tackle and figure out, okay, how are we going to get through all this to make some kind of informed decision? Um, and AI is going to be able to help us with that. And, um, you know, generally across uh, the industry, I think you're starting to see a lot of people test um and learn from AI, but there's also been some cases of AI that have, have been around for, for a while now. Um, it's, it is a buzzword. Um, ChatGPT definitely helped it become a buzzword, um, but for certain things like um, computer-assisted ordering, for example, that's been around for a long time, and that requires certain level of AI forecasting to understand exactly what you're going to need to order. And We've been doing that in our stores for, for quite some time. Um, so that that's that's been around. Um, as far as things like ChatGPT go, you know, I can tell you, I'm from a from a purely marketing standpoint, it can be it can be useful and it can be fun, and it's you know it's kind of crazy to be able to type in like, hey, I, I need to come up with this kind of campaign, give me yeah. some ideas, and boom, instantly you've got all of these different uh, ideas that you can you can start with and kind of play around with. But it's definitely not going to replace somebody yet right you need somebody to you need a, a, somebody to put the prompts in you need somebody to be able to at least polish up and clean up what it gets back um, but it's definitely a huge huge stride and it's to me interesting how like with automation and robotics years ago you know it was more like the blue collar jobs you, you um that's what you were worried about mm-hmm. white collar jobs you weren't worried as much now it seems to be the opposite the ai is coming after white collar type jobs mm-hmm. not blue collar that that require you know today people to go through sift through data write up yep. you know legal documents etc uh, you know etc um, so it's interesting to see how that that is shifting so i'm going to give an example of an epic failure of ai that i experienced this morning so I just got a new card, and part of that is I need a data-only SIM card to activate a bunch of online features. So my provider is Verizon, and that's what supplies data to my tablet and my cell phone and my entire family. So I think this should be as easy as just communicating. I was traveling here this morning, so I launched the app, and I tried to chat. First of all, the chat forced me to a virtual assistant, which is completely AI-based. When I asked the AI engine, hey, can I get a data-only SIM card for my car? And I gave the car model. It tells me you can get SIM cards. Of course you can get SIM cards, dime to a dozen. You can buy them with data. But then it asked me for the device's IMEI number. And so then I look up, how do you find the device's IMEI number? It says you have to go in and type hashtag 06 pound. And that's true from a cell phone, but this is a car. It's not a phone. And so I go back and ask again, it's a car. So there is no IMEA number. All I want is an answer to the question, can you give me a data-only SIM card? And it went into an infinite loop. After about 10 minutes, it said, why don't you talk to a live agent? And I had to wait another seven minutes for a live agent to come on, only to tell me they don't work with my specific car model 17 minutes later. <laughs> so it's actually quite annoying if I told you guys. Right. What, I, what, I, what I'm looking at is an industry where AI is already here. That's how the suggestions are made. Others bought blah, you may like, things of yeah. that nature. Yeah. But I also look at an industry which doesn't yet know how best to 
I want to say exploit, but how best to leverage AI for the good of everybody, and especially for the think the primary people you and I both serve. We both serve as the consumer at the end of the day, shopper, the customer. How to make the experience seamless? And I'm going to jump there next, Matt. Which is how do you ensure a seamless experience between the store and the various digital platforms you leverage for Spartan Nash banners and its banners? And what does the word user experience mean to you? Yeah, as I said earlier, that's my team's focus is bringing to life what we do in our stores digitally. Um, but it does have to go the other way as well. You know, we fully expect customers to come into our stores and utilize our platforms, whether it's through a mobile app or through a website, to help aid them shop and find things in the store. Um, so having that seamlessness between the two experiences is critical, and it's not an easy thing to do, quite honestly. Um, in our industry, it's pretty... You're right, we take it for granted, but it's not an easy thing to do. And it's it's really common uh, for a lot of grocers to have very, very many different point solutions that are also very outdated, and they may not all talk together. And if they do, they're probably not in real time. Um, so it's it's quite difficult to to make that happen. And what what I find is um, is that it the people factor of it can go a really long way. Um, and especially when you're talking about that customer that today may be wanting to do curbside pickup or um, home delivery, um, or are going to be using some feature we have on our app that allows them to shop throughout the store. Having the in-store associate educated very thoroughly on how everything works and the purpose of what that function is. Uh, that can go a long way when a customer may be struggling with it or has a question and they're there to, to help them get through it um, because that's going to keep a customer sticky. If the associate is clueless about it, the customer is going to ask, they're not going to get a good question, and then that's not going to keep the customer sticky. They're not going to have a good experience and they're going to leave. And that kind of leads into your question about what is UX or user experience. What does it actually mean? I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't think of it as much. I know UX is very specific to what is your experience within the confines of this app and this website. I still always zoom out and I'm always thinking customer experience. What is the confines or what is the experience in the confines of the whole journey the customer has with us? Whether they're you know getting an advertisement and just becoming aware of us and going to our site or they're literally working with us in our stores and we're taking care of them there. It's that whole journey, that whole customer experience. And I think it's important to think of it that way because if you're very focused on what's the UX within this menu or this page of the app, you're going to lose you're going to lose context of what's going on and it's going to be a subpar experience. Understood. So my, my takeaway there is user experiences at the forefront of what you're really championing within Spartan Nash. Yeah. So I'll turn it over to Brian for our last question. Well, yeah, and I think the other observation I make is that you started off by talking about the importance of the omnichannel customer versus the versus just the brick and mortar and thinking about that as just the customer. And it seems like it seems like thinking about customer experience instead of user experience is sort of like your like your digital code for how to do that, right? right. So rather than over focusing on UX, which can be a very digital A/B testing yep. sort of very micro sort of thing, you're you're trying to reposition around customer experience to really get the organization thinking about that whole omnichannel customer, not just the digital, not just the digital experience. So, which I think is kind of cool, and that kind of actually is an interesting build to the last question, which is sort of around talent now. So, you know, you've got roles where you're going to require people that have obviously just straight up digital capabilities, but then you've got both a need for both digital and omni-channel leaders in your ecosystem. Um, you know, 
all of us to some degree come out of the brick and mortar world. You two guys as practitioners, me as an analyst. Um, so, um, but uh, we've all adapted to digital. We all kind of go back and forth all the time. But um, what's the uh, so what's 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 the secret sauce here? Like, how do you uh, how do you think about talent in this omni-channel world? Do you yeah, how do you think about buy versus build? Not, not building people, but like, uh, but from a skill set point of view, how do you think about um, outside versus inside? What do you think are the right capabilities, and what are the attributes of a really good omni-channel leader? There's pros and cons of having strong expertise in a specific discipline, you know, in the digital space, whether that's being in mobile app development or merchandising on an e-commerce website, and. On the other side of that, there's pros and cons of having really strong understanding of what it takes to actually operate a retail grocery space. Um, and of course, you've got to find that middle ground. But I'll tell you that I um, I tend to lean a bit more towards the experience from running a you know retail or a grocery store. I find that that keeps the focus going back to the previous question on the customer experience more than the user experience. Um, that keeps the customer holistically at the forefront of the person's mind that's working on whatever it is they're working on. And they're thinking about more than just A, B testing these two pages. They're thinking about how does this actually fall into the whole journey the customer's having? How is this gonna affect this other thing the customer's gonna be doing within that same transaction when they get to the store or maybe two weeks later in a separate transaction having an understanding of how things really work in the store and how it, what it requires to serve the customer um, makes a huge difference in how well that you build out whatever your solution is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, and I don't know that that's uncommon of grocers either, I think that is an industry where you've got the most people that came from stores that then had to figure out what their discipline is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think because of that, um, we tend to rely a lot on our partners, going back to one of your questions earlier about vendor partners, and relying on their expertise and discipline in whatever that solution is that you're trying to build uh, to help you get there, right? To help to help you actually build out what that experience is that you envision for your customer. And are there specific attributes in talent that makes them qualified to be in the space or gives them an edge? Such as I've always believed the number one talent to succeed in this space, this omni-channel space, is just curiosity. Mm -hmm. There's always something changing. It's dynamic. Now we got this buzzword called AI, but AI may not be the best, the, the next thing since sliced bread. And there's already five things occurring in the industry. Data has come out of left field as something that's realistic. Mm -hmm. No one anticipated COVID and how e-commerce would change, but curiosity to me is the number one talent. I'm curious what you would think is some of the, are some of those skill sets that make people unique. Curiosity is a big one, I think. A close uh, relative to curiosity is creativity, and I really think having having creativity of, of finding novel solutions in different ways to uh, serve the customer, and sometimes having novel ways of taking maybe old technology that doesn't work well together and figuring out how to make it work, that can come from. That's a big one. It is, and that we've got to do a Same lot capital. of that. Uh, yep, um, creativity in that space will get your solution to the product or to the customer sooner. May not be the perfect way of doing it, but you can get it to the customer. And I think that comes out of um, having to have that creativity of taking care of that brick and mortar store. If you come out of the store 
um, you have the customer standing in front of you with that issue and you have to be creative on the spot to figure out how to find that customer what they need. Um, so when you see somebody that can do that, they may not have the expertise in app development, but they've got the right mindset to come and learn and help figure out how to take care of that real customer now digitally. I did say Brian was going to ask you the last question, but something else popped up to my mind, and that is trends. Are there any specific trends you're following outside of AI? Or is that the trend of the day as the industry matures? I think that is it's going to be interesting. To, I think it's one of the most important things to follow right now. Um, and I think that's because we don't know yet how it's really going to impact everything. Um, and I think that's the question mark is where is it going to go? What all is it going to integrate into? My thinking is it's going to be a lot. Thank you so much. So let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content on the cpgguys.com URL. And of course, you have seven days programming on LinkedIn. So please do check in any day of the week. And if you think your company has some thought leadership to contribute to a community discussion, just like Matt did today, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com. And again, that is email at contact at cpgguys.com. And maybe you can join us on the podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgguys.com on the navigation bar up top. That helps us understand how we're doing, as well as if we are having the right discussions. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, Brian and I want to thank you for the 25K plus followers. Mm -hmm. When we started this, Brian, we had no line of sight to we'd become this big and we'd be nope. a learning platform for the industry. So we're thankful that you have made it that way. Matt, I want to thank you for making time during this busy conference and a busy schedule for joining the CPG guys. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Brian, I'll say the same to you. Any summarizing thoughts, Brian? Yeah, I thought there were some really interesting points in here. I mean, obviously, you talked a lot about that idea of there just being one customer, not a digital one or a store-based one, but a true one omni-channel customer approach. And that fueled a lot of the responses. I love the idea of you know store associates being able to do real-time personalization. I thought that was a really good sort of way to think about what a store-based network can do and can deliver to, to customers from an experience point of view. Um, you talked about how your planning was still rooted in brick and mortar, and I think that's important for your vendor partners to understand that though your omni-channel, some of the mechanical planning process around stores is going to live, is going to start store-based from uh, an experience design point of view and then work into the digital world. Your successful partners being flexible and nimble and using customer feedback as close to real time as possible. I thought that was a really good criteria for thinking through what great partners are. I thought the whole conversation around private brand and how the private brand story needs for you guys to tie to the independent grocers narrative and the role that digital and retail media can play in kind of telling that slightly more complex story, I think is a really interesting one and an interesting use of retail media in a private brand that I think you guys are sort of uniquely positioned to do versus other retailers that aren't trying to solve that problem. Um, I think, um, and obviously, I think the... Um, the idea of how a lot of the work you do is raising the floor of your independent stores and the idea that you had around almost like lookalike modeling, right? So if that store doesn't have good data, well, we know enough to tell you that this store is kind of like yours. So here's some things you can learn. And I think that's a really good way to solve for a data outage sometimes is to have confidence in a lookalike model, either from a consumer point of view or a business to business point of view that I thought was really cool. Um, what else is good? Um, I think um, your example of computer-assisted forecasting using AI, it's like, look, AI has been around for a long time. So, so um, And uh, the specific application of AI that everybody's talking about, which is ChatGPT's version of text-based generative AI, is like four clicks down from the concept of AI. So I thought that was really powerful. Thinking about, as we mentioned, customer experience rather than user experience. 
and your talent um, about retail experience. And then I love that last concept that you got about defining creativity as the ability to solve the problem as though the customer were standing in front of you. Right? It's just a really cool way to think about what the talent in the space needs to look like. So that was awesome. That was super fun. So that's that. impressive recap. Uh, I just wrote it all down. So <laughs> I just wrote down what you said and said it back to you. That's, uh, that's, it's, uh, it's funny when we do the show and one of us is typing, people think we're distracted, we're checking email, we're actually taking notes. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So <laughs> I want to thank you, Brian. I want to thank you, Matt, for joining me today. That's a wrap, and we'll see you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.